0: There was an idea, Stark knows this, called
1: The Earth is a Ball. The idea was to bring together a group of remarkable people, see if they could become something more. When these two brothers return together healthy, I got news for you. They gonna have something to say about stuff when all is said and done.
0: What I really want to know is what it's going to mean for everyone's favorite dynamic duo, the Heartbreak Kids. Now, everybody loves these guys. Like in talent, you put
1: them one or two. It's time for the Earth is a Ball on the
0: Wave Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of the Earth is a Ball podcast. I'm Ricky Weeps, joined by Kevin Redford. Kevin, it's, it's been a while since we've been back on the airwaves. Uh, what, what's been going on the last month or so?
2: Um, what's been going on the last month or so, Ricky? Yeah, well, I, feel,
0: I feel like I haven't talked to you in a while.
2: Yeah, I, I would say that about the biggest boom of sports activity that we've been waiting for has happened. We are now on, I think, what would be the downside of it now that the NBA Finals are done and the World Series is just about to start? So I'm just, you know, settling in and watching some baseball, some football. Glad that basketball's over, but college basketball's going to ramp up soon here, as well as Pac-12 football. So a lot to look forward to.
0: Yeah, I mean, shortly after the first episode of the fall semester for the Earth is a Ball, Pac-12 announced basketball is coming back November 25th. So that put a lot on my plate, and uh, you're now covering ASU football for Inferno, Inferno Intel, so make sure... People check out Kevin's work as the season gets closer to starting and when the season's going on. But, yeah, messed around with Greeny a a, a little bit.
2: Yeah, Um, we talked to Mike Greenberg.
0: Not much has gone on except just busy working, school, stuff like that. But we're back, and that's the most important thing, right? Yes, sir. So why don't we start off – I know we have a jam-packed show. We're going to start off with Hype Train of the Week. We have Jack Collinsworth interview that finally happened after weeks in the making, so we'll get to that a little bit later. And then we'll also preview the World Series that's going on. Game one is tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. So by the time this episode's put out, game one will already be done. But we're going to preview it anyway because seven-game series, two number one seeds. But we'll talk about that later. So, Kevin, why don't we start off with Hype Train of the Week. What's your Hype Train of the Week, Kev?
2: My Hype Train of the Week goes out to rookie MLB phenom. Just passed the former Tampa Bay Ray Evan Longoria for most home runs as a rookie in the postseason. The ALCS MVP, Randy uh, Rosarena, who is absolutely dominating the American League scene. He's been the clutchest hitter for the Tampa Bay Rays so far this offseason, and. Has as many home runs this postseason as he did all of the regular season. So he was consistent all year. He got even more hot as the playoffs warmed up after the wild card round, and now he's a guaranteed hot bat in the middle or at the beginning of the Rays lineup for the World Series. Randy Array's a Ra- a Rosarena, bursting onto the scene. Choo choo hype train baby. No.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting to point out that the last time the Rays were in the World Series, Evan Longoria was a rookie. I remember sitting in the stands chanting, Eva, Eva, because, you know, hazing the rookie. But uh, my hype train of the week also goes to another rookie. But in the NFL, now, if you know me, you know, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, and this is a big deal. Tuesday morning, the Dolphins announced that Tua Tungavailoa is taking over the reins as starting quarterback of the franchise. He'll make his first start in two weeks against the, I was about to say St. Louis, but the Los Angeles Rams, that's what they're playing now, right?
2: Yeah, fear the dome, go Battlehawks, baby. Two against the world, two <laughs> against Te'amu, and the shootout for the, for the dome Cause the law.
0: But I think this has been a long time coming. A lot of people aren't necessarily happy with the move by Brian Flores and Chris Greer because they think it's a little too early but I think it's the perfect timing even though the Dolphins have a have a nice rhythm going winning two of their last three but Ryan Fitzpatrick hasn't looked the best lately he did throw two interceptions against the Jets last week but Tua three for three nine yards in trash time I mean hype me up Kev Tua is my hype train of the week
2: yeah it's a bold strategy if it pans out for the Dolphins and uh, and coach Flores I think he might be anticipating something that we've seen in the past with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think his biggest year on the scene was when he was in Tampa Bay. I'm correct? Like four or five five years ago?
0: Yeah, he was I, a, I believe so. He
2: a top three fantasy quarterback, reliable guy. He was thrown for 300, 400, four touchdowns, five touchdowns a game for about the first six games of the season. And then he st- slowly started to trail off that electricity kind of died down a little. And I don't know if you're going to say this, but you were mentioning earlier today, just before you hopped on, you don't, th- we don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick's led a team to the
0: playoffs. I, I don't so, believe so in the last, in, in the 15 years he's played in the NFL. I don't think Ryan Fitz has a, uh... See, what a he, team in the
2: playoffs. He's a pl- he's a plug-in quarterback who's going to produce for these teams that are kind of figuring out their quarterback identity, whether that be through the draft or, you know, planning ahead for a possible move in the draft. But now the Dolphins are 3-3 three and three and one game out of first place in the AFC East. So this is a very tough situation for the Dolphins organization to make and the good thing is two is only a rookie and Fitzpatrick they know is still performing so worst case scenario they can always plug Fitzpatrick back in if something were to happen I think this is at the more I think about it a very smart move
0: and and if you look at who the Dolphins are going to be playing coming up they're going to come off the bye week and play the Rams one of the toughest front sevens in the NFL with Aaron Donald leading the way so you can imagine Tua getting lit up by Aaron Donald at least once or twice probably in his NFL debut. More like, or not NFL debut, but his first career start. More like, welcome to the NFL, right? So you're throwing him right into the fire. But two weeks ago, Brian Flores said that Tua was nowhere near ready. And I think the last couple of weeks in practice, they, they must have seen a shift of some kind to make them confident in this decision to make it this early, Tuesday going into the bye week. But as you said, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, hasn't really led a team to the playoffs. And even that star, when he was a star in Tampa Bay, like, I think Tua gives you a better opportunity to make the playoffs if he plays as well as he did in Alabama that, that first year he did when he won the national championship in the second half. But I think the Dolphins will have a better opportunity to make the playoffs with Tua as their quarterback, even as he's learning along the way than Ryan Fitzpatrick down the line.
2: One thing that you bring up that I didn't really know about was that Brian Flores said that two weeks ago, Tua probably wasn't ready to step in. That's just a weird comment to have made then. And I think that proves true with your fact that the past couple of weeks, whatever Tua has been doing is what's catapulted him into the starting spot. Because this shows me now. That the Dolphins have had Week Seven circled on their schedule. That's their bye week. Their bye week has not been moved due to COVID, correct? This is what it's been the entire time.
0: I believe it was moved due to COVID because of the the Patriots Broncos situation. So I think it moved up either a week or two.
2: Regardless, I think the Dolphins had their bye week schedule and said we're reevaluating quarterback here, and that's what they did. Their first day after, or two days after their last game, they decided to make this decision. But I don't think anyone in that room could have anticipated making the switch to Tua after Fitzpatrick has had a decent start. So it's completely an instinct move on this point. Uh,
0: We'll see how it plays out. And, And just one last point before we move on. I think the Dolphins offensive line has proved that they can contain a pass rush because that's always been the biggest weakness on their team for the past probably decade at this point. And they're starting two rookie offensive linemen. Solomon Kindley and Austin Jackson, they drafted in the first round and they've been very solid up front. Like I think Fitzpatrick's only gotten sacked like five, six times in the six games this season. And Kindley just allowed his first like pass, like hurry. Pressure. Yeah. Pressure in six weeks this season. So I think the, the front office is definitely confident in that offensive line throwing into a, even with that hip injury and obviously the big, injury question mark going into the draft for Tua was his hip so they they definitely feel like they have the protection and they're in the right spot so time will tell and I'm looking forward for two weeks from now but Kev uh, why don't we get into our interview with Jack Collinsworth because I know we've been waiting a long time to set it up once you tweeted at him during the Notre Dame game and we finally got it to work last week so why don't we jump into our interview with Jack Collinsworth now All right, now joining us on the Earth is a Ball podcast, someone who had stints at NBC Sports and ESPN before, ultimately joining NBC Sports again this year to help cover Notre Dame football, football night in America, and cover the Olympics that got pushed back to 2021. It is Mr. Jack Collinsworth. Jack, thank you for joining us.
1: Fellas, I've been waiting to do this for a long time now. We've had a couple Twitter interactions. I said, I got to come on the pod, finally set it up. So let's get it going. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know you guys a little bit.
2: Hell yeah, it's good to finally be able to finalize the fan club situation going on over here.
1: <laughs> I like that headset you got going. You look oh, like it, it's,
2: it's, from, it's my Xbox headset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I my, can't find my AirPods at the moment. Mike is in the works, possibly possible Christmas present maybe. So, oh. uh, yeah, so we're, we're working on it.
0: We, we don't have an awesome setup like you have with uh, all the jerseys in the background and Al Michaels, but we're, we're working towards that.
2: Yeah, you guys
1: will get there. All you gotta do is buy a jersey, buy yourself a little camera. Dude, I eventually had to buy a camera for all this Zoom stuff.
2: Yeah, I'm
1: still, uh, I'm still working very hard to pay it all off, though. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. <laughs> got a lighting rig set up, and I got the camera set up, and I'm in debt.
2: I've got W Flag Cheesehead koozie.
0: I, I usually yeah. have a whiteboard in my background, so we're we're getting there. But uh, you you've had the opportunity to to do some of the things that not a lot of broadcasters have had to do, which is sideline report in stadiums with some fans and some, uh, some stadiums that don't have a lot of fans like Seattle, New Orleans. So how do you think that's impacted the game of football and like what changes in the atmosphere do you think changed the way football's played?
1: I, I think it's been pretty drastic to be honest with you, Ricky, like I really do. It's, um, it's so it's, it's different. So both the two that you asked about are, are very different. Notre Dame, I thought was gonna be very strange and very quiet. And even I'll give you a little story. So week one, and I hadn't really done TV stuff for all summer basically, cause we were in quarantine. And so it's like my first hit I got to do it was like a COVID report or something, which I mean, you know, it's not exactly like the most exciting thing to be reporting about, you had to be factual. And so I was like getting my mind right about what I'm gonna say and you know, quiet stadium and no energy and all that stuff. And there's probably 5,000 people in the stands and it was quiet and it was no energy and it was weird. And then we rehearsed it. so then it's 10 minutes later and it looked like another about 10,000 people had showed up. The Notre Dame band shows up and they had to take over the whole student section. And right before we went on and I'm receiving the pass from Mike Tirico, which is enough as it is. And right before we start, I start talking, the band starts playing and it is so loud. Like it sounds like a normal Notre Dame game day. All of a sudden the music plays and Notre Dame runs out onto the field. And the crowd erupts and it's another 15, you know, 15,000 people going crazy. So it really has not been that different. Like as as much as you miss the other, whatever that would be, 60,000 something fans, it's still loud. I think the students are having twice as much fun that they can spread out, be around their friends and have a party in the stands and so it really has been loud on that side. The NFL, on the other hand, it is eerie to watch NFL football in an empty stadium. You can hear Pete Carroll talk. You can hear the communication on the field, quarterback checks, all of that. So I think strategically, they have five different checks because the defense would start to catch on, to be honest with you.
2: Yeah, I saw that uh, Aaron Rodgers was talking about that, how he was revealing when he goes on Pat McAfee that the checks, they just switched. He, he had no problem revealing what his checks were that week because they're just going to have to scrap them and use them next week anyway. That's it. Because Everyone can hear them. Uh, so coming from Notre Dame, graduating from Notre Dame, it feels like you must have hit the jackpot then when you came back to NBC. How has it been so far doing Notre Dame pretty much full time?
1: It's been even more fun than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. And and it's, it's kind of crazy because you're doing the NFL and you're doing Notre Dame simultaneously. So you kind of sp- take your week and and you spend try to spend 50% of your time on Notre Dame. And then, you, you know, you want to do another two hours on it. But then you have to pull yourself out of that and go, here's the Seahawks film. Or here's you got to watch Minnesota's defense. And then just kind of switching gears constantly. But – I love going from the Notre Dame game and then taking the, the bus or the van up to Chicago airport, taking the flight to the city, getting there Sunday morning, having no real prep time, putting together a show quickly. And before you know it, you're on football night in America. Like for me, that's the ultimate rush. It's never been like, there's no downside of that for me. Um, I love it. And so getting a chance to work with dad a little bit, has been special too. There's a couple of pregame hits. It's like, I, it was funny the first week I was talking and I'm looking at him and I'm going, he, he even told me this afterwards. He's like, he's like I'm, I for, almost forgot I was on TV. He's like, I'm sitting there watching you. and I'm going, damn, look at that. Jack's on NBC. And he's like, I forgot I had to talk too. And so it's been a little bit weird for both of us, but it's been, it's been a dream so far.
2: I can empathize with that. I did a radio show this morning too. So I doing this one and I did one earlier. So it was also the ultimate rush
1: yeah no it is right it's like you gotta you just gotta turn it up to 10 Like you gotta have two coffees and you just gotta whatever your best is you gotta put it together because you're gonna be it's double duty you're doing two jobs and you have the same amount of time as you always had when you were doing one job but that's that's the reality of working in this business boys
0: now another reality of the business uh that we're starting to get used to is going out covering high school football games here in Arizona and Standing on the sidelines, keeping your own stats for two and a half, three hours, like it really puts a lot of miles on your legs. So how do you prepare for the physical toll of sideline reporting? And what's that like for you on NFL or uh, Notre Dame game day?
1: The physical toll in terms of standing for the whole game? Is that what you're asking?
0: Or or just the physical toll of sideline reporting in general? Because you're moving around a lot on game days. That's that's probably the funniest question I've ever heard. Um,
1: The physical toll. Yeah, I mean, honestly, so when I was doing the silence, I did the silent for the first two games. And the reason was because Katherine Tappen was still doing the hockey bubble, like the NHL Stanley Cup bubble. She's back now. So I'm, I just do pregame, halftime, post-game, that stuff. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of that involved. I mean, you're on such a rush the whole game, though, like you're humming to this sideline, to their sideline. There's an injury there, there's an injury here. You sit down to look at the monitor to see replays, and I always like to have my IFB in, and I like to really pay attention to to Rico and Dungey in the booth because you want to stay within the theme of the broadcast, right? I don't want it to be a separate sideline show and then a broadcast from the booth. The whole thing has to be meshed in as one. And so I'll I'll sit down at the monitor and and give my lower back a break if that's what you're asking
2: about. Do you know, have you ever met Dean Blandino from Fox? The ref guy, the officials analyst?
1: I don't think I have. I know who you're talking about now, though.
2: Yeah. we we uh we had him. We talked to him a couple of weeks ago, and he. You're not the first person to get upset with Ricky for asking just an out of the park question. He, <laughs> he was a comedian before officiating, and Ricky asked him to tell him a joke.
0: How, did he have a good one? No, <laughs> no. He, he he made fun of me, but it was within the confines confines of the show because it's a little more funny on the XFL files than it is on the Earth as a ball. Well, so. It, it kind of fit within the theme of the show. We're
2: big XFL fans, if you couldn't yes. notice.
0: Oh, I'm a huge XFL fan, man. I was a big
1: A AA, AAF fan too. Oh yeah, I You guys.
2: yeah, yeah. I will, I, that first Birmingham Iron game really made the hairs on my arms stand up.
1: What do you think about the Rock owning the XFL?
2: We From that's AFA. been pretty. That's been dominating our coverage so far, and after like looking at it pretty extensively, they're truly like truly is no better person for the, for the job. He knows the football side. He knows the entertainment side. It's just, it, it, he'll do well with it.
1: He knows the social side too, which is a huge
2: component. Yeah. He's the most followed man on the planet, social media. So He he is. And very
1: few people I think can take their audience and convince them to convert to something else, like move a social audience to TV or move a social audience to buy something. But he's one of the guys that has enough brand equity with his fans that they'll follow him. And then you combine that with his understanding of what it's like to be, you know, somebody who's sort of been kicked out of the NFL and had to grind his way back and go play in the CFL and all that stuff. I think so many players are going to gravitate to him. I really do. Good players, too.
2: Yeah, it'll, I'm. we're totally content with it taking a year to kind of get everything figured out again and coming back next year and putting out really good quality of play and just a fantastic product. Mm-hmm. I'm a Midwest guy, so I'm fairly, like, in tune with Notre Dame. I know Ian Book's the guy going forward, but give us some names to watch out for on draft night come April, May.
1: Interesting question. I think Tommy is the best player on the offense. That's, okay. like a, that's one of those – you know who he reminds me of is George Kittle. Mm. I've, seen, I've seen very few tight ends that are long and skinny, and he has that kind of a frame. He almost built like a receiver a little bit. But that when he gets on you as a blocker, I mean, he takes people's souls. Like He just dominates people. And I, defensive ends, linebackers, safeties, it doesn't matter. He's more athletic than all of them. And he's physical. He's, he has a background of playing defensive line, and he applies that as a blocker. He's a real talent, but can also run. He's fast and can also catch. I think he's one of those just combo rare guys like a George Kittle. So he's definitely one. Dalen Hayes, a pass rusher. For sure, one. Uh, Tommy Reese, I think probably like a mid-round pick or something. But, you know, they're, they're kind of treating him this year like he's a game-managing quarterback based on their play into their strength. They have the best offensive line in the country. They have those great uh, run-blocking tight ends we just talked about. So they're making him this running, you know, game-managing quarterback. But that, the reality is that he can open it up and go win a game with his arm whenever he needs to. And Clemson very well may be his first opportunity to go do that.
0: Now, I kind of want to shift over to what everybody did during quarantine, because as we mentioned in the opening, like you had to get the camera, the microphone, the setup to do numerous Zoom interviews. And actually, you were doing an interview before you came on our show today. But Mm -hmm. you did a series called Distance Training over the summer with numerous professional collegiate and Olympic athletes and how they were training, dieting during uh, social distancing and things like that. But you learned about their habits. What did you learn about yourself during quarantine?
1: Good question. All right, Ricky, you're making a little comeback here. Uh, I would say what I learned about myself, number one, I love having fires. We probably had a fire every night during quarantine where it was like the one thing to look forward to all day. Sit out by the fire, get some music going, just hang out. And it was like, you know, our family members or whoever we were quarantining with, that became a real favorite thing that has carried on since. Another one that's kind of weird is I bought a bike during quarantine, I was never like a big cycler, and now I am like a daily cycler. It's just become a part of my routine, but it's a, it's a real head clearer, man. You get your cardio in, you're kind of whipping around town, everyone's double taking you going, what the heck's that kid doing? And yeah, you're, you become the cycle guy. It gives you a whole new respect for when you pass a biker on the road. Um, and also taking walks. Like that's something that we've, we've kept going since. Um, now we have a bunch of our meetings on walks. We've kind of transitioned that. It's like, get out of the office, just go walk. We find we're a lot more productive when we're moving around having the same conversation. So that's been, those are three things that I've really learned and changed that have changed me through the quarantine.
2: That's good to know because I am, for my entire life, I've just been absolutely amazed with the production that they put out every Sunday night. And it's just the best football on TV to see. So to, to hear stuff like that and where it comes from, it's good to know. Um, I do have one question about the sir Mr. Chris Collinsworth yeah and that is I'm assuming many times in the past you've asked him for advice in your life whether it be broadcasting life whatever does he ever just like slip into PFF mode and be like hey look at the math
1: look at the math yes yeah, but he he also doesn't like he doesn't just accept PFF on its face. you know, like he will go he'll go to war with those guys about, okay, yeah, but I mean, you even heard on the most recent broadcast the math said that that's why Zem- I asked' gone. yeah, it's a good question. The math said that Zimmer should have gone for it, but he disagreed with that. like he his his take was, but how are you gonna put Russell Wilson into a math equation? You Guy's different. In the fourth quarter, he's going down the field, which is exactly what he did yeah, he was for a touchdown. Then you end up losing the game where you had a very safe opportunity to kick it, get an eight point lead, and now he's got to get a touchdown and a two point diversion just to tie it. So that gives you some sense of yes, he believes it. Yes, it forms his foundation mentally, but he will always challenge it.
2: I think a lot of people don't look at that when they look at that when people argue with pff and they say they then they they say exactly what you saying on the broadcast so you can't put russell wilson into a math equation but some people just don't really on twitter and stuff they can't really differentiate the two and learn how you know the eye test and the analytics kind of mesh together along with coaching and experience and all that stuff
1: just every year it gets a little harder to argue with pff it's like every year they have another coach or another quarterback or richard sherman on a podcast or like now i'm just telling you like the amount of players weekly, daily that are reaching out and going this great. And I don't know why I got this great. We're like, okay, well, here's the templates here. We'll, we'll go through all of these individually. If you want, we'll zoom you and we'll go through them one after another. It's every time we do that by the end of it, there, there seems to be agreement. So, I mean, it's just every year gets tightened and tightened and tight. It's like, I don't,
0: it's, it's pretty hard to argue at this point. I think that understands that and respects it as such. I don't know if I saw Kevin more upset, watching a football game than the other night when we were watching Sunday Night Football, and you were really upset with the uh, the pro football focus grades underneath the starting lineups with the wide receivers, Kevin.
2: Oh, was it DK and Tyler? Yeah,
0: you, you oh. were so mad at that.
2: <laughs> DK was, yeah, what, what was going on there? DK Metcalf was like 20th ranked receiver or something like that.
1: Was he? I'd have to pull it up. But oh. I mean, with, with receiver grades, like, the fact that somebody's six four and is a monster, and you feel like he can go up and get it over any DB, that has no factor in the grade. You know what I'm saying? Like, well,
2: also I, the way I thought of it too was like the way Russell Wilson looks at DK Metcalf is almost every time he's taking a shot down the field, and DK Metcalf's only getting four or five receptions a game, but he's getting a ton of targets. But those are higher risk, low or high reward, but I mean the odds for completion are lower.
1: For sure. And like, you know, a drop or a couple of drops, like the guys who grade the best in our system, it's sheer production. So just always remember that, sheer production. So if he has had a drop or two, you may be thinking he's 6'4", he's a monster, he goes up and gets the ball better than any other receiver in the league, he's top five, which, you know, I'm thinking the same things. But if he's dropped three balls, the PFF grade is going to come way down. They don't give a hoot, you know, they just don't care. Same goes for an offensive guard. Like he could be the most dominant guy the last three years. But if he's missed four blocks this year and given up four pressures, his grade is going to be terrible. Like I've just seen that so many times. So just always have in the back of your mind, doesn't matter how big you are, doesn't matter how strong you are, what your last name is, what your potential is, it is sheer production. And, and so that's why it really irks a lot of people and, and generates a lot of these conversations.
2: So we're going to the Olympics, or you are at least. We're going to try to go to the Olympics, actually. or I might. I don't know about Ricky. We've got a program here. Um, wow I got how, delayed. How that work? you apply then you pay 10 grand so
0: that, that's why we're doing this to put it on our yeah put it on yeah, our real, yeah. yeah we're,
2: we're doing this so that we can create a network and then you can fly us out with you too perfect uh, um,
1: i get to fly out there at this point
2: right um so uh what is the one sport in the olympics that you would do that you're participating summer or winter doesn't matter
1: yeah, I've always loved track, and I've always loved skiing. So those those would have to be you know top two as far as what I like to watch in the Olympics. Though I mean, they're all going to kick my ass, but I love swimming. Like I've always been like, dude, it's it's so cool. And like, I never been to Olympic swimming yet, but I went to the World Swim Championships where Lock D and Phelps and all those guys were competing. And there's just nothing like being in that indoor arena and watching them come out and swim. And like, you get down to a great race and a great finish. It's, it's one of the most exciting
0: sporting events you can go to. All right. So if you were doing like a relay race in the pool, who would be the other three people on your team that you would want to team up with?
2: One of them has to be from NBC.
0: Ooh. Uh,
2: Is Phelps
1: still swimming or did he retire for like the 15th time? I think he's done. uh, Is he done? Okay. That's sad. Um, I, actually, I really do want to know what Locky's actually like. I'm thinking Lochte. Uh, as long as he brings his grill, I'm good with him. got to bring one person from NBC. Ooh, that is interesting. I, give, give me Al. I'll take Al Michaels. He'll be the starter. We'll, we'll send Al off the blocks, see if he can fly, see if he's still got that in him. And uh, so I got to come up with one more, huh? Who the heck is a good swimmer?
2: I'm imagining Al Michaels with the old uh, what they used to use for suntan lotion on your nose, <laughs> like jumping off the block in a speedo.
1: <laughs> I think that's a good visual. If, if we were playing golf, this was like a golf him, I'm definitely taking out. I was one of the better golfers. Like Al, I think i plays play about every day out there in LA. Um, but yeah, those those are my three. My fourth would probably be Phelps. I don't care if he's retired. I, I'm just going to learn from him.
2: Lochte rebounded after that hiccup he had abroad. He's Done a bunch of documentaries and stuff. He's a really good guy, It looks like. Lockie so, got
1: screwed up by a reality TV show that he never should have signed on to do.
2: Uh, I I don't even know the history behind that. I would I can't say that I know. He screwed it up beyond that. I
1: mean, he obviously had the whole thing with Rio too, and that's he, what
2: I'm talking about—the Rio gas station or whatever it was.
1: Bad situation. He also had mm-hmm. that life of Lockie, life of D reality TV show. It may even predate you guys. Sounds like it does buddy's like Let's go back and watch some youtube clips it was i
2: like, i will when when ricky and i get a break from bar rescue and south beach Tow, we'll check it out
0: there you go there you go um
2: and that's all i have ricky you got anything
0: else I, I don't think so so jack <laughs> i want to thank you for coming on the show and uh glad we could find some time hopefully we can do it again soon for sure fellas appreciate you having me and uh i look forward to seeing you in tokyo
2: yeah for sure <laughs> This episode of The Earth is a Ball is brought to you by nobody. We're back. World Series preview time. Earth is a Ball. I brought up Randy Orozarena in the first half of the pod, and I'm telling you, Ricky, the Tampa Bay Rays are America's team. Shout out Dom Stern right now in the World Series. I can't think of anyone outside of a 20-mile radius out of Los Angeles, who is pulling for the Dodgers, other than maybe some true National League truthers, those people. But I think you'd agree with me. We're, we're plugging Rays all the way here.
0: Well, and I'm not just plugging Rays because I'm anti-Dodgers, but I'm just like, I've seen the Dodgers in this position before. They've been here so many times in the last couple of years, and they just haven't gotten it done. Like, it's sad to watch Dodgers fans just celebrate, like, go – off-the-walls bonkers just because they won the pennant because they know that's all they're going to get now. Mm -hmm. So I just want to see the Rays. You know, I, I, I didn't really feel bad when the Phillies beat them in 2008, but to see them get back to this point after being in one of the toughest divisions of baseball for the past decade or so with the Yankees, the Red Sox, you know, Tampa Bay, they don't have a big fan base, but they're a fun team to watch, man. They're deep. They've got the pitching staff, Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now. They are America's team, and I I just think of uh, the fan during the Cowboys-Cardinals game wearing a Cowboys shirt and a Mm -hmm. Yankees hat. I could just Photoshop a Tampa Bay Rays uh, logo onto that hat because that is America's fan right there. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I – these are the two best teams in each division. We know that. The two one seeds, the two best records. And that seems to be the narrative for this World Series. You look at the last three, four World Series, they've each had a very distinct narrative. Last year was the Nationals who came onto the scene and won it as a, a wildcard contender. Two years before that, we had the Strohs beating the Dodgers again. And a couple years ago, we had the Cubs winning in 108 years, blah, blah. But there seems to be this romanticism behind baseball or the cliche this year I don't want the narrative to be the two number one seeds that's great going for storyline I want the narrative to be the Dodgers for the ninth year in a row winning the NL West and not coming home with the title because it is comical at this point I enjoy it the the storyline of the Rays being one step ahead of their rebuild is or not necessarily rebuild, but their resurgence is not enough for me. I need to see the Dodgers lose for the sake of comedy, for the sake of, you know, a storyline, repeat that word a lot of times. But you talked about the starting pitching. If you look at Tyler Glasnow, Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, that is Tyler Glasnow who's performing his best. He made a significant leap this year in the major leagues. Blake Snell, the reigning AL Cy Young, I believe, correct, those two go toe-to-toe and are playing better than Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller, or really Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw, because those three starters that the Dodgers are going to rock with are going to be Bueller, Kershaw,
0: May, correct? I believe so. I think Dustin May is going to get the ball in game three.
2: And then they have extended relieving innings for Julio Urias as well. So the pitching – that's something that differs from last the NLCS series with the Dodgers and the Braves and the World Series because the Rays and the Braves stack well together. They're very top loaded lineup. Top half of the lineup is loaded a lot heavier than the bottom half. And the Ray and the Braves still put up very good offensive numbers against the Dodgers. So two similar offensive teams in the Rays and the Braves. The Rays a better team road pitching rotation wise. I'd take the Rays, I'll take the Tampa Bay Rays in six games.
0: I think just going off of your storyline because you want it to be like nine years, still no world series ring, that they, they traded for Mookie bets. And I know we were both big, like, Oh, enjoy Mookie while he lasts. He's only staying one year, yada, yada, yada. But to go out and pay him 12 years, $365 million and not win a ring. Like they still have 12 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've made it this far. They could still do it for another nine years and not win a world series. But just to go out and pay that much money for a player to get to this point already it is definitely something to be proud of for the Dodgers, but you've got to come away with at least one ring Yeah, on un- Mookie's un- tenure in
2: uh, Los Angeles. Unfortunately, the Dodgers aren't going away, and there will be, I think, a handful of other opportunities for Mookie and the Dodgers to go chase a ring in the coming decade And as he milks out the remainder of his contract. Yeah, they're not done yet. I mean, there's a lot of talks about going and getting George Springer this offseason and adding that third outfield position starting that they essentially really need. I put that in quotes because it's the Dodgers, and they really don't need anything more offensively to compete for a World Series. Uh, So that's just kind of the way it is. So I I hope that I think the Dodgers will get a ring sometime soon. But I just the longer that they can delay that, the, the more fun it is.
0: Now, you, you said the Rays in six, correct?
2: That is correct.
0: Okay. So my X factor going into this World Series is going to be Walker Buehler because, you know, he's had kind of a down year this year after lighting it up last year on the pitcher's mound. And I feel like his pants got a little bit tighter, but, you know, the, the velocity's been there, but the control hasn't. And I think if he's able to put it together in one game, one or two games this series – I think the Dodgers have a very good chance of winning if Walker Bueller can outduel whoever he's facing on the race side. So I'm actually not going to go with who I want to win, but who I think will win. And I'm going to take the Dodgers in seven. I know we don't like doing predictions no, on the no, of ball, but, but I, I'm going to go Dodgers in seven.
2: I, I, I agree with that, uh, or I don't agree with that. I understand that, I should say. And I think that the real difference between my prediction and your prediction, in my opinion, is going to be who's going to score runs late in games. Because that's what we saw from the Braves in the NLCS as a team that competed with the Dodgers offensively through six, seven innings. But – Their bullpen was strong enough to silence or the Dodgers bullpen was strong enough to silence any offensive runs in the last third of the ball game. And they have a very, very good bullpen on paper that kind of took a step back in the NLCS, but I won't be surprised if they bounce back and do very well. They didn't give up a run, the bullpen, before the NLCS in this postseason.
0: And and you got to, you can't forget Joe Kelly and the lip. You know, yeah. they've got some attitude. They've got some swagger to them. That's that's why I think this Dodgers team is different than any Dodgers team we've seen in the past. Like, Cody Bellinger pimping that baseball out to right field and just strutting down to first base. Like, that was a different kind of energy we've seen in L.A. They've got a little bit of flavor on their offense, and I think that's what's going to set them apart, especially in a Game 7 where it's a must-win situation. Now, both series went to Game 7 in the AL and NLCS, but I think the Dodgers' energy – they are ready to win it this year, and I think that's why I'm picking the Dodgers in seven.
2: Yeah, the last thing I have on the topic is you mentioned Cody Bellinger. I mean, that's a guy who hits in the five and six hole. and is an Who, who autom- won MVP last year. Right, and who's an automatic threat. Like top to bottom that lineup will attack innings one through nine, and that's why I'm saying that late inning offense, whoever excels in that field in this series, I think is going to win the World
0: Series. All right, that, that's going to wrap up that topic. I mean, I really don't want to see L.A. win it, but only time will tell. Game one, Tuesday night. This episode's coming out Wednesday, so it's not like I can, uh, can advertise for it, and it's not like we're getting paid to advertise for it, but I think it's on Fox. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, all of them oh. are on Fox. Buck and, uh, Schm- and Smoltz on the call.
0: Well, that'll do it for us on the Earth is a Ball podcast. Hopefully we'll have an episode out sooner rather than later after this one. But till then, just remember – that the earth is a ball.